In my Bible, I've opened to Matthew chapter 5, and I would like to ask you to join me there, please. Matthew chapter 5, that's where we'll start our lesson from this morning. In many of the malls in our country, especially some of the the nicer ones, you will find a Nordstrom's store. I don't think I've ever been able to buy anything from there, but Nordstrom's is a high market retailer. Uh, that's something that distinguishes them. But, but what especially distinguishes Nordstrom's in the industry is how they have been known for going far beyond what normal customer service is. I don't know if you've ever seen it or read it. There's a book entitled The Nordstrom Way. In that book, there are a series of both uh, true stories about Nordstrom's and then pseudo and legendary stories that aren't really thought to be true at all. But one of the stories that is true about Nordstrom is about a man who came to that store one day and said that the lawnmower he'd bought from Nordstrom wasn't working. And he didn't want a replacement. He wanted a refund. He had been a longtime Nordstrom's customer, a very elderly gentleman. They didn't want to lose his business. So they didn't argue with him one bit. They asked him how much the lawnmower cost, and they refunded the entire price uh, to the man, and he went on his way, pleased with the interaction. Some of you chuckled because you know how this ends. Um, The great part of this story is if you've ever been in a Nordstrom's before, it ain't Sears. They don't sell lawnmowers at all. Uh, But to keep this customer happy, they actually refunded his money for a lawnmower rather than embarrass him and argue with him about where he actually purchased the machine. Uh, Nordstrom's is a great store from customer service, at least from what I understand by their reputation, because they go beyond. Chick-fil-A has what they call second mile service. And that's just what it sounds like. It's the idea that you go beyond what people expect you to do And in doing that, you retain customers for life. So every time you go to Chick-fil-A and you say thank you for anything, their response is always, oh, come on. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's amazing how they have built an entire company culture around that phrase. And it's an incredibly rare occurrence that that somebody at Chick-fil-A has ever caused me to feel anything but not only welcome, but appreciated can't really name another fast food restaurant that's done that before. This morning, I want us to consider a question that Jesus asks in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 and verse 47. If you're looking down at that text, this is the section about loving your neighbor and even loving your enemies. Uh, That if others do this much, you're supposed to do even more. And here's the question that Jesus asks beginning in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And in verse 47, here's the question. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? That's the question that I want us to consider this morning. What are you and I doing more than others do. The point of that is, as Christians, God has called us 
to not be the norm in anything that we do. We are not supposed to be the average amongst humanity. We are supposed to be, by his command, by his grace, above average. And not because I'm so special or you're so great, but because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to strive to move past sinfulness and worldliness to godliness and raise the standard of living by following his standard in our lives. So we're not necessarily meant to be above average as the world would count average. Uh, We're to be different. We're to be more than what this world is because we're trying to be as Jesus is. And the question Jesus asks has to do with that. What do you do more than others? The idea of that is, is not how are you better than them. It's how do you distinguish yourself with the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you and I interact with people who are lost, how do we cause them? Do we cause them to question, you're different from me, from most folks I know? How is that? What kind of life are you living that I can see makes you different from what I'm accustomed to? I'm living my life with all the ups and downs of anybody else's life. I want to know what makes it any better if I face this world as a Christian Versus facing it as as someone who doesn't bother with all of that. What's the difference between you and I? The same way that that Nordstrom's has cultivated this customer base of people who are willing to to pay and frequent this place that is, is expensive compared to a lot of other stores is because of the service that comes with them. And just like Chick-fil-A, which used to, I think these days it's a bit more even, but they used to be a little bit more expensive than the average fast food joint. Um, But people still go back. Quality of the product, quality of the service. You know, they care about everything that they do. It's cultivated that same idea. We are different. Come to us. Let us be your source of food because we do things differently. Because we are different. That's the kind of difference Jesus is speaking to. When he says, what do you do more than other people? He's saying, you and I have a responsibility to be something that other folks aren't trying to be. To treat people differently. To live differently. And this morning, I want to offer to you three areas in which we need to be different from the world. Where we need to be more than the world tries to be. If you and I don't um, stand out... In this world, by being what God has called us to be, above the world's average, different from the world, if we don't do that, if we don't show them what Christ can do in someone's life, then people have no reason whatsoever to become a a part of us. Why do anything if we don't demonstrate that there is something radically different about us because of, of whose we are? There is... Within us a unique makeup because Christ has recreated us. We've been remade in the image of Jesus Christ. And we're striving to be clearly distinguished from others because we're trying to emulate him. And if I don't show that to the people that I interact with and I look just like anybody else, then there's nothing compelling. There's nothing causing them to consider why live any different way. So I want to suggest to you three areas that Jesus talks about in which you and I can set ourselves apart and in so doing invite people to serve Jesus as well. Um, Before we get to the first one of those, let me extend uh, or echo the welcome that's already been extended. Uh, We have a a full house this morning and and that is absolutely outstanding. 
Uh, we've got a number of visitors here with us this morning, uh, most of which are familiar faces, but nevertheless, it's, it's great to have everyone here, um, especially if you are brand new. Uh, if this is your first time visiting this congregation, we would love the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Um, if you live in this area, you're looking for a, a group of, of people who are trying to serve the Lord that you may want to be a part of as well. If you have any questions, if you want to sit down and study something, we would love the chance to do that. Um, we can do that socially distanced and safe in whatever way is convenient for you too. But it's good to have everyone here. The singing was phenomenal, not just because I like all the songs that you picked, um, but just to hear so many voices singing out. Um, I just kind of stood in the back and took it all in. Um, but let's go ahead and let's begin with our study together with each other. Um, the first point is kind of building off of a point that we talked about last Sunday, just a little while, when we had a, a, a sermon in song about how God is love. And we talked about how we need to respond to that. And part of the ways in which we need to respond to that is not just by loving God back, but also by loving his creation we only talked about that for a little while, so I wanted to come back to that this morning and, and flesh that subject out a little bit further. So, so the first ways in which, or way in which we show ourselves to be different from the world around us, the way in which we, we do more is through our love for one another, showing brotherly love to others. In uh, John 13, passage I imagine everybody knows, this is near the end of, of Jesus' time teaching on earth. He is thinking about his apostles particularly and, and the disciples that are going to be made as a result of their work. And he's trying to get those disciples to focus on the things that really matter now. This is the end of Jesus' life here on this earth. Uh, when you come to the end of your life, when you're on your, your deathbed, if you have an opportunity to offer last words of any kind, usually folks in that position speak things of, of substance or they mean to. And here, near the end of his life, Jesus is talking to the disciples about things that really matter, important things. In John 13, when he's speaking with them in verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one another. So the natural question out of a text like that is, do we demonstrate to this world that there is a kind of love that flows among us that's different than the love of any other group of people that the world may have to offer? I ask that um, not as an accusation, and I'll get to that more here in just a minute, but not, not accusing, but, but why it's not an accusation here in just a minute. I ask it more for serious consideration. Is there something different about the love of, of brothers and sisters in Christ for each other than that of any other participants in any other kind of, of group? That kind of love that brothers and sisters in Christ have for one another through the Lord is something that can manifest itself in a variety of ways. Um, physically, it might mean that we, we would be very comfortable sitting close to each other and sitting on any pew within the building if, if we weren't having to social distance a little bit. It might mean that we would be comfortable hugging instead of shaking hands, or certainly shaking hands and glad to do it, again, if, if it weren't the times that it is right now. Or perhaps even putting an arm around the other and, 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 and comforting them as they have perhaps come to the front to confess some sin, or they've come to your doorstep to talk with you about something that's going on in their life. 
That kind of love for one another can manifest itself in all those different physical ways. And it can manifest itself in verbal ways, the way we talk about our brethren. And that's something that I was thinking about, the way we talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you talk about the people who are a part of your Christian family here in this place or others that you know around the world? Um, how do we talk about the, the shepherds that serve us, deacons that serve us, the evangelist who preaches? Um, people talk on occasions about, oh, to be a fly on that wall. Sometimes the places I've preached, I don't know if I ever wanted to be a fly on the window of anybody's car when they were headed home. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I wanted to know. What do we say about each other? Especially in the privacy of our home, maybe within earshot of kids. What do we say about each other? We're grown-ups. We can sometimes have some grown-up disagreements like we were talking about in class this morning. How do we handle those? How do we teach our kids how to handle those by the things that we say as we're just kind of thinking out loud and, and venting out loud? How do we speak about our brothers and sisters in Christ to others? Is there obvious love, obvious affection that shows itself naturally in the words that we use as we talk about each other and the relationships that we have and just how much we appreciate one another and are thankful to see the spiritual growth in this person or the hard work that they've been doing to, to help others in this area. All of us, not, not just a, a few of us or just our immediate family or the people we spend the most time with. Jesus said, by this, the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Now, sometimes that's kind of hard for me to see. How exactly are people who, who aren't here who, you know, if we were streaming services, aren't watching them because you've only got however many views you've got. And it's not everybody. How exactly are, is the world seeing this love amongst brethren? Sometimes I can see examples of that because people are impressed with what I know Christians have undertaken for others, for the sake of others, what they've been willing to sacrifice and do for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it's not as obvious, not as clear. And I trust the Lord to know what he's talking about as this is his instruction and his guarantee. I will tell you what is obvious when brothers and sisters in Christ don't love each other like they're supposed to. Everyone sees that. So does my love for my brethren manifest itself physically and verbally? And if it doesn't, how can anybody know it's there? I can think of just a couple of examples within the last few weeks of the way that this congregation has exhibited love for others. Um, started with the Jaspers and little Alexander's surgery. I know one of you got with several of the rest of you and coordinated meals so they could take care of their little boy, take care of work obligations, and not worry about other things. Um, and then this week, my wife has had surgery. Um, and we are ridiculous with food in the refrigerator. We have so many meals. I'm not going to say we don't know what to do with them because we'll figure out a way. We'll make it work. Um, but we have been amply supplied by your love and concern. Now, I don't know if it's for all of us. Maybe you just like Crystal Extra Special, but I get to eat the meals too, so I'm happy with all of that. Um, just those simple things 
Like I said with the Jaspers, when the day came that we were all going to get the meals to uh, Regine, who was going to run them out to her, there was multiple cars in the parking lot. Small army ready to supply the need of their brethren in that simple but useful way. Uh, like I said, our fridge is overflowing with the foods that you guys have brought. And as I've heard from a number of you, we, we've got more coming. Um, so Crystal's going to have another surgery next week. We don't know what it is yet, but we're going to work something out. Those kinds of things, it's just a simple illustration, but it says something about the way that people feel about each other, especially if that kind of thing does not happen. Um, because of those two examples uh, drawn from just the past couple of weeks, and because I, I know that they're indicative of the, the normal MO for this group, um, in a way... As I said, I'm not bringing this up as an accusation so much as just for serious consideration. In a way, talking about this subject is, is like preaching on the matter of attendance on a Sunday night. So to an extent, I feel as if I'm, as the phrase goes, preaching to the choir. Uh, the ones who are there, the ones who get it. Because I see evidence again and again and again of how this congregation does take care of each other in a variety of ways. That's a good reason, I think, to talk about it. Because it is such a wonderful part of what we're blessed to have here. I would mention it both to say thank you and to, to give you praise for following God's instructions to serve one another as you have been doing. And then also just to encourage us to keep doing as much of that as we can. All the more. Um, how we love one another is that second mile concept. That, that Jesus talks about and that Chick-fil-A has taken as their own. That's got to be true for all of us. And it shouldn't just be true for, you know, the folks in my age group that are easier for me to talk to or just for the people that live really close to me geographically or the people who speak and do like I do and we get along really easily uh, or the, you know, the people who've been here the longest or the people who've been here the shortest or the people who are the easiest to help, the easiest to be around. It should just be true because you're my brother you're my sister. As we read in the Psalms at the end of Wendell's class, I'm a companion of all who fear you. And because it's what the Lord has instructed, it's what we owe each other and what we're blessed to be able to share. That Christ-like love. To show the world that we love each other the way that Christ loves us. But it does go further than that because Jesus does go on to say that we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And that's not always easy to do. So not just brethren, but everybody else. Um, I, I imagine everyone knows the song, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? Remember the lyric in that song that says, Neighbors are kind, I love them, everyone. We get along in sweet accord. I don't know how you feel about it, but I haven't always been able to sing that verse with full agreement, uh, depending on where I lived. Neighbors are kind, I love them, everyone. We get along in sweet accord. If you can sing that song and that phrase of that song in, in all good conscience, every word of it, then you're a blessed person. Not all of us can always do that. But none of that changes how I'm still called upon to love my neighbor as I, as I, as I do myself. I'm still instructed to do that. It is easy to love people like yourself. It's easy to love Christians. We've got much in common to start with. 
Um, and even if you don't know uh, everything about each other, you find things in common very quickly and you have the most important thing in common. So even though we know that if we're, we're still a little different from each other, that we share the same purpose in life, have the same motivations for doing the things that we do, it's easy to love people like that. And it might even be easy to love some of our neighbors because there's, there's certainly a, a benefit in that. You know, you can't borrow a cup of sugar or a cup of milk from somebody who doesn't like you. That's, that's indicative of the good that can come from those friendships, borrowing a tool, that sort of thing. But Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what more do you do than the Gentiles? I say to you, love your enemies. So not just brethren, not just neighbors, all the way down to enemies. Which means I've got to love those people who not only don't really know me, but sometimes don't even like me. It is one thing to, to love people in abstract without knowing who they are. We love the, the lost. We want them to be saved. To love them in abstract. But loving someone who you do know specifically, and then even beyond that, who really has it in for you for whatever reason, I have to love them. I have to practice active goodwill towards them if the opportunity ever presents itself or if I can ever manufacture it. Even for the people who don't like me. It's usually not hard to find someone like that. Um, as a student, as an employee, as a customer, uh, I imagine all of us can at least think of one person who doesn't like us. Maybe it's their doing, maybe it's yours. Maybe no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to change that person's perception of you, their attitude towards you. Sometimes it's your literal neighbor who doesn't care for you for whatever reason. Sometimes it's a family member who has wronged you and won't make that right. To love these people and to practice active good will towards them, it's not easy. It's not easy. But if you and I want to separate ourselves from the world and do more than others would do because Christ tells us to, it's one way you do it. So it's not only the way in which you and I love each other here. It's not only the way in which we love people that will be around this week in our communities. But it's also how we act toward the people who might be actively antagonistic towards us. Do we pray for them? And when we talk about praying for them, uh, not imprecatory prayers, calling the Lord to strike them down. Not the generic prayers with, with very little heart in it, but, but praying for God. To help them. To bless them. Because you do care about them. You want God to change their hearts. You want them to be able to become a brother or sister in Christ. You want them to know the goodness of the Lord that you get to know. And you want God to help you to be in the right mindset to be able to help them. So this concept of, of brotherly love. If you and I can live that in our lives. If we can make... Um, that an active part of who we are it can make a huge difference in the way that people perceive us. It's one critical way in which we are to do more than others may do. Secondly, then, not only is it brotherly love, it's also how we bear burdens. So the examples that I gave you of how this congregation loves each other is also an example of bearing burdens. Um, those who've had surgeries recently, not having to worry with all of that, just knowing it's taken care of. Um, Beyond that, you know, everybody has, has stuff they're going through. Some people keep it pretty close to the vest. 
others let people know and how you bear with them and what they're going through makes makes all the difference in the world um if you're constantly avoiding them trying not to strike up conversations with them um complaining about the burden it is to try to bear their burdens then we have difficulties just like the world and we're handling them just like the world In John 15, this is what Jesus says to his disciples beginning in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. I don't know if anybody has ever felt that way, that the world hates you. Maybe you felt um, the world doesn't really care. The world doesn't seem to notice. Nobody cares. I think Rodney Dangerfield one time said, I went to my father and I said, nobody likes me. Everyone hates me. My father said, nonsense. Everyone hasn't met you yet. Does does the whole world hate you? Jesus says, if the world should hate you, know that it hated me first. What's he mean by that? He means, I've dealt with that. And so can you. He doesn't say, try to escape it. He says, yeah, that can be how it is sometimes. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Um, and sometimes it'll feel like hate. It'll feel like active persecution. Otherwise, other times it'll feel like indifference, like you're irrelevant. He says this then in chapter 16 in the first two verses. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, he explains to them. And then says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So why does he tell them that? He tells them that to keep them from stumbling. Don't let that break you and break your faith. If the world hates you, bear that burden and know that it's hated me first. So what Jesus is calling for us to do is to walk a very narrow way. He's calling us to go against the grain and swim against the flow and be something that nobody would would logically ever be. And that's how you make a difference in this world. If you want to be that kind of different, it it takes an effort. It doesn't just just end with wearing T-shirts that that sport religious slogans on them or having the... uh, the ichthus, the, the fish on your bumper. It's going to be in how you live life every day, and especially sometimes how you bear the burdens that every day can bring. How you live under them, rather than trying to flee from them. How you live through them. In um, Hebrews 11, if you read through that chapter, it's a beautiful chapter, but if you focus on the, those heroes of faith and what they're going through, more often than not, they have it really bad. That's what gave them the opportunities to display their faith in such incredible ways. In every single case, those people are, are demonstrating their faith in the face of persecution and requirement. And Abel is killed Noah faces an actual world of unbelief. Moses suffers along with his people, rather enjoying the glories that Egypt had to offer. All the people that are listed in there are people who bore burdens. And God does not just take those burdens away. It's in the midst of those burdens 
that they demonstrate their faith to God, not in the absence of them. So if the world is going to see just how different you are because Christ has made you different, you need a venue. You need a stage. You need an impediment, a thorn in the flesh, imprisonment, hardship, something. In Philippians chapter 1, in uh, 12 through 18, Paul talks about his imprisonment there. And he doesn't take it personally that God didn't set him free like he set Peter free. He set Peter free. Paul's still there. And he doesn't take it personally. What he says instead is this. I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. There is something to be had and to be gained by bearing under our burdens in a way that displays our faith in Christ. And this is something that, that manifests itself very practically among the people of God. Let's say a member of the congregation comes forward at the conclusion of the service and they, they say, listen, I lost my job today. Um, what they were asking me to do was stuff I could not do. Um, they wanted me to, to handle this or that thing in an immoral way. Um, and they thought the company would be better off for it, but it wasn't something that I could do. And I told them that. Uh, and I've been saying that to where they've, they've just been looking for a reason to let me go because I don't play ball the way that they want to play it. And I've worked for them for a long time. And comes this new management with new recruits and a new method. And they wanted me to do something that, that wasn't in line with the way things are supposed to be. And certainly against what, what God would have me do. And it didn't matter to them. And now I don't have my job, but I still have my family to care for. And I need your prayers. Um, absolutely console, assist, and help. And then also remind them of the opportunity that they have to not only, well, first of all, the opportunity that they already took to stand up for what is right, despite what it may cost, and to set that example for Christ and to show their boss, their former boss, how they're different from the rest of the world around them, what they would stand upon, those principles of God, but then also to show their, their spouse that they're in this faithful serving of Christ together, to show their children that despite the cost you serve the Lord, to show their brethren that they are in a, a part of a local congregation with people of faith, In the New Testament, that's, sometimes how you, that's oftentimes how you see disciples react when they go through something. What a great opportunity to show what we are. We had the chance to show that we are, are, are godly people, that we serve the Lord. Um, just one example that comes to mind in the book of Acts. When they are beaten with rods by the Sanhedrin council for following Jesus, when they leave there, they're actually celebrating for having the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. That is not thinking that would come easy to me. But that's the way you and I need to bear the burdens that we may face. To see those things, not only for the hardships that they're going to bring and the challenges that we're going to have to rise up and meet, but for the opportunities they give us to show that we face the world in a Christ-like way and show what Christ would have a person to do in those hardships, to be light in a time of darkness. So Jesus asked, what more do you do than others? It is easy to grumble and complain when people mistreat you. Everybody does that. But the child of God doesn't have to do that. Those opportunities don't have to be merely hardship. They can also be blessings 
When we demonstrate there's more in my life than these burdens and these difficulties as a result of following Jesus Christ. And then the third and final point, and I appreciate your attention this morning, is not just brotherly love and bearing burdens, but also boundless joy. Boundless joy. What do we mean by that? In John 16, verse 20. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. The challenge I would issue you this morning is not to allow the circumstances of this life, the hardships of this life, people in this life who may be unloving, what have you, any part of the world to take away your joy. And by that, I mean this boundless joy that the scriptures speak of. Um, what is boundless joy according to the biblical way of thinking? Well, there's a big difference between joy and giddiness and just, just happy-go-lucky, that kind of stuff. We're not talking about just smiling and laughing at everything and chuckling and everything just bounces off of you. You are Teflon. Nothing phases you. Just that kind of giddy naivete. We're talking about hard-earned joy, um, mature joy. That you've worked for a deep, genuine undercurrent of joy and satisfaction with the life that God has given you because you know of its ultimate purpose. The disciples had that. In Acts 2, when they're speaking in tongues and they're talking to the crowd that's gathered there to hear what they have to say and they're accused, you remember, of being drunk. The accusation is given partly because they're, they're being pretty boisterous about what they're saying and partly for the reason that I, I suspect they were just mistaken for being drunk. That wasn't the only time that they would be accused of, of being under the influence or off their rocker, so to speak. Their kind of joy in life, despite all that they faced, was occasionally associated with something's wrong with you. Maybe you're intoxicated. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, we're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be drunk with or filled with. And the corresponding term is the spirit. So don't let artificial stimulants rule your life. Let the true and abiding stimulant, Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, be the thing that motivates you in this life and lifts you up and gives you joy when others would have sorrow. There are a lot of things I imagine that the, the Apostle Paul and his companion Silas could have offered to the prisoners who were with them in jail at Philippi. But I wonder if there was anything that they did that night, anything that they said that night that could have had more of an impact on them and on the jailer sitting outside listening than their singing songs of praise at midnight after receiving a severe beating at the hands of the Romans. The very idea that they would actually be celebrating what they were singing influenced a man enough what the way that they responded to their hardship and glorified God even still influenced a man so much so that he said what do I need to do to be saved you are more and I need to be as you are 
What would his reaction have been if they were just sitting there bemoaning their circumstances? Woe is me and how hard things were going for them. I'm not saying you're not allowed to talk with your brothers and sisters in Christ about how you're really struggling right now. But there always has to be the undergirding joy. I'm going through this and this and this and this. But I do still have Christ. The world doesn't have that. Which gives you an opportunity to show them the difference. So Jesus asked this question, what do you do more than others? Do you have brotherly love? Do you have, in addition to that, love for your neighbors, even love for your enemies? Can you bear your burdens and appreciate them for the opportunity that they really are to display Jesus Christ to others? Can you help others bear theirs as well? And can you have boundless joy in your life that is not hemmed in by enemies, burdens, hardships, etc., that lasts and lasts and lasts because you know through Jesus, eternity is your home. It's joy that manifests itself not just in your faces, and not always in your faces, but in the ways that you face life and keep plugging and living by faith and encouraging others to do the same and going through whatever you may go through and still be able to tell somebody with absolute sincerity It is more than worth it. Can you do that more than others? Because Christ is in you. And with him the hope of glory is in you. I would ask you by way of invitation, is Christ in you today? Do you have the hope of glory after this life is finished? Um, You and I are all going to get to meet God one day. And I hope very much he will not express disappointment because we don't have a good answer to the, the question of this morning. What did you do more than others? So perhaps for some of you it starts with making the decision that so many have made and so many more have not. To serve him. And to serve him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Are you willing to do that more than others? To become a Christian this morning. And if there's something that can be done for you. If it's a, a prayer that we can offer or a burden that we can share. A burden that we can celebrate with you as an opportunity to show Christ in your life. That we can also help lighten the load and understand its, its use in your life. Whatever it is, as we're about to be led in this closing song, if you want to come to the front and share that with us, or if you would like to share that in private with myself, with, with the shepherds here, with whoever greeted you, whoever you know here, we would love to help you find that life, that joy, um, that strength in Christ Jesus this morning. Don't you let us know. Let's stand and sing.